0: Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's podcast, I speak with Emily Yates, head of accessibility and inclusive design at Mima. Mima worked alongside Visit Britain to co-create the accessible and inclusive tourism toolkit for businesses, which aims to act as the resource for travel, tourism, and hospitality organisations. Emily and I discuss how it was created. Why it's such a vital resource and how it's going to evolve over time. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Hi Emily, it's lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on and joining me, and at very short notice too. Appreciate not it. Not at all. Thank you so so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, we're going to have a good chat today. I'm looking forward to this. Right, I am going to start my icebreakers with this question for you. Um, have you ever been told off by a security guard for touching anything in a museum that you should not have been touching?
1: What? What a great question. I don't think I have, but something that immediately comes to mind, it was a very embarrassing moment that I had at the Museum of the Future in Dubai a few months ago, where I touched something that I shouldn't have done. And what it was was there was an interactive, kind of tabletop interactive going on, and there were groups of people from all over the world who were visiting this museum, and there was this one couple who were trying to sort their wristband to make this interactive work, and I just figured that they couldn't do it. So I put my wristband on to help them and I changed all the information to me and they were so annoyed. Oh. me. <laughs> we went in a massive grump. It's all about me. Yep, yep. I just thought that I'd, like, nicked all of their all of their information and their opportunity to do this activity,
0: and I was just trying to be helpful. That's the actual digital version of skipping the queue, basically. You exactly. You just, like, you <laughs> wristbanded them out of the way.
1: <laughs> I totally did. I totally did. And the worst thing was that we were on this group tour, so I had to stay with them for the rest of them. They with you. Yep, yep. They're always a
0: bit awkward, those group tours, aren't they? Because you never know if you're going to, like, like anyone. Or if yeah was going to get on your nerves, so oh, you just made it even more awkward than it needed there you to be. <laughs> <me. laughs> right, I love it. Okay, this is a this is a, a, a there's a three parter to this question, okay. Okay. but it's a good one. So, and and actually, thank you, whoever sent this one in, because I can't, I genuinely can't remember who sent me this one, but I really like it. It's the first time that I'm using it too. Um, okay, so they say the formula for visitor attractions is one, a great view, two, a great brew, and three, a great loo. So I want to know where you've encountered your best three of these. They can be at different oh, well if you want. So best view. Best view,
1: I would have to say, can it be international? Mm. I would have to say Sugarloaf Mountain, Rio de Janeiro. Wow. Absolutely incredible view. Yeah, like nothing else. Best brew. Oh, I'm trying to think of somewhere that has a great cafe. Uh, the V&A Museum in Dundee has a brilliant cafe that also has a great view, I have to say. So oh, that would right. be on my best. Could brew. be a two in one.
0: We like that one. Yeah, okay. yeah. And
1: then three best loo, best loo. It would have to be somewhere that has a changing places toilet. And oh, of course. course, I need to say that. Being an access consultant, I'm trying to think where it does, but I know for certain that um, a client I'm working with, the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, has one about to be kind of refurbished and and all sorted. So I would say there. Excellent.
0: Good choices as well. I love that you've got a Dundee one in there that was like two out of the three. Well, I mean, there you go. There's a challenge for them. If they can up their game, they can get that third one from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. All right. What's your unpopular opinion? Oh, my unpopular opinion,
1: both heels and handbags are overrated. (laughs) As as a wheelchair user, I have never, ever worn a pair of high heels in my life. I'm 32 years old, so I think that's quite a quite an accomplishment and also pushing all the time unless it's a cross-body one I can never hold a handbag uh, yeah. so yeah I'm a I'm a converse and rucksack girl all the way
0: oh right because yeah it would get in the way wouldn't it you'd yeah. need to you need to kind of like have it across and then I guess tucked in a little bit and then what's the point of having something fancy if you're gonna just Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I'm not a wheelchair user. However, um, my feet were not designed for <laughs> high heels at all. I'm a I'm a flat scale all the way. So maybe not
1: unpopular opinion. Maybe there's just two camps, two very distinct camps, isn't there?
0: I think probably two camps, but I don't think this is an unpopular opinion. Even in <laughs> even in the camp of people that that could actively wear those heels and, and might want to, I still think that there's a I secretly wish we didn't have to. Maybe, maybe I'm in a
1: lovely position that I've got a lovely excuse. <laughs> Never had to think
0: about this. Never had to squeeze your tiny feet into those awkwardly yeah. pointy evil contraptions. <laughs> right. Let's see. Well, let's see what everyone on Twitter has got to share, um, share with us on that. Thank you. Um, Emily, I want to find out a little bit about, well, I want to find out a little bit about your role and your background and then tell us a little bit about MIMO as well.
1: Yes, sure. So, I um, am a wheelchair user. I was born with cerebral palsy. I'm, as you can probably tell from my accent, from a little town called Skipton in North Yorkshire. And I'm also a twin. And my twin uh, lives in Spain now. So she's got the sunshiny life. There's definitely a tan difference between the two of us now, sure. And I've always worked in the world of accessibility and inclusive design from, from leaving university, really. And it's led me to amazing opportunities to be able to travel a lot, to be able to see, I guess, the importance of my capabilities as a disabled person rather than just my limitations as a disabled person. And I've brought that into my professional work as as well as my my personal life as well so i now work for an amazing human centered design agency called mima uh, it stands for micro and macro so uh, details and then zooming out into the the big picture um looking at that end to end journey and I head up the accessibility and inclusive design team there. So whether you're talking about airports or train stations or, of course, museums and galleries or even global events and sporting events, we look at auditing, facilitating lived experience user groups, standards, policies, disability awareness training, all of that good stuff and, and bring our design expertise into wider projects with us as well. And it's brilliant.
0: That's how we got chatting, isn't it? Because you've worked with a really broad, we've worked with a hugely broad range of clients, as you've just said, but I think David and I started talking, um, somebody, I can't even remember. Oh, it was, it was, it was a good friend of mine. It was Jo Geraghty. She introduced us because we had um, visitor attractions and kind of heritage and cultural organisations in common. So we had a brilliant chat about this. And then we had a chat and then this, project happened that you've all been involved in which is amazing so you, this is what we're going to talk about today now you'll probably agree with this but I think when it comes to accessibility and inclusivity I think it's fair to say that kind of travel tourism mm-hmm. organizations they, they want to do the right thing there's a mm-hmm. real desire to be able to do the right thing but they often don't really know what that is and where to go and find the support to be able to do those things like how where do they start looking to to kind of understand the checklist of things that they need to go through to make sure that their their venue is accessible. Yeah. The Visit Britain Accessible and Inclusive Tourism Toolkit for businesses aims to change that. I saw um, Ross Calladine, who's the Accessibility and Inclusion Lead at Visit England, speak about this a while ago, before it had, it had launched. Um, he was speaking at a Visit Hearts networking event that I went to. It is an incredible resource for the sector like absolutely incredible I've had a really deep dive into it and it is so useful and so full of incredible information but but you and Mima have been involved in putting this together with with them yes right this has been a joint project
1: yes absolutely so we were the toolkit authors and I feel very honoured to have worked with Ross and Hannah at Visit England for the last year you know they're they're just A wonderful client uh, and we've got on really really well and Ross as you will probably know from from hearing him speak absolutely has his heart in the right place when it comes to accessibility and inclusive design but I think really importantly as well has his finger on the pulse of the business benefit of this which of course is really really important and you very rightly said there that a lot of um, especially small to medium sized businesses want to do the right thing, but often don't know where to start. And quite a lot of the time that's to do with budget, it's to do with time, it's to do with res- with resourcing constraints, all of that stuff. And what we really wanted this toolkit to do was to provide some holistic tips and advice for those businesses that actually says we understand the limitations that exist. We understand that it's not possible to just click your fingers and magic up a yeah. change in places, for example, that we were talking about earlier. Um, but it is possible to think about your staff training, your recruitment, your policies and your processes, things like making sure that your access routes are clear of seating and clutter simple things that make a huge huge difference but of course i said seating clear of uh, clear of access routes but of course there needs to be seating somewhere as well that's really important But these quick wins that you can make that will will make a huge difference to people. It's not always about just installing a really expensive piece of equipment. It's understanding those holistic changes that you can make that will make a huge difference. And the toolkit covers so many different sections. Um, It provides some information about the Purple Pound. So the spending power of disabled people in their households, which is worth, I think £274 billion per year to UK businesses alone. So that's what you're missing out on if you're not physically or digitally accessible. And then the toolkit also covers, you know, the different impairments and medical conditions that you might need to know about, how to best provide that inclusive welcome that can often not cost anything at all. It's just about changing your mindset. And then we talk about the importance of inclusive marketing changes in the built environment, employing more inclusively, and then the next steps to kind of continue the all-encompassing journey that can never really be finished, but will hopefully provide people with, stand them in
0: good stead for, for a future that's a bit more accessible. I guess that goes to the toolkit as well. This is, this is going to be something that is never finished too, because it's for always sure. going to change and evolve depending on what the needs and requirements are. How, sure. how was it created in the first place? Like, what was the process that you had to go through? Because this is no, you know, what, what you've just described. I mean the resource is phenomenal you know it's fast the things that you can understand and and go through with this this documentation so that in itself would have been a mammoth task to have pulled Mm. together. How did you work with um, Visit Britain to to do that? So
1: the first thing that was quite important was thinking about what each of the resources were going to look like so what I've just gone through there is the more holistic toolkit that the main piece if you like but In addition to that, we've also got documents that have um, 20 top tips for businesses. We've got action checklists where people can almost say, right, I'm going to make sure I've provided something in particular for an assistance dog, for example, and put a timeline of when they're going to do that. Give ownership to a certain member of staff of appeasing that checklist and then carry on that way so there's also some action checklists and there's also some technical guidance as an appendix as well so the first thing was really thinking about what information do we want to provide and how are we going to segregate that information so it isn't awfully overwhelming and is actually actionable and then the second thing was making sure and probably the most important thing was making sure that we'd co-produced this information and consulted with the correct people so we've consulted with over 30 um, disability charities and disabled people's organizations also trade associations as well as well as independent reviewers Um, so everybody from the business disability forum who gave us some great advice in terms of inclusive employment to self catering trade associations to museum trade associations um theme parks and things like that you know there's so many people that got involved with this and gave us some advice and also we wanted to make sure that the information wasn't just actionable but it was really relevant as well so we've also created lots of different case studies within the toolkit um so whether that's more independent small farms who've done something amazing in terms of their volunteering and how that can be more inclusive to a local peer for example that's made something that let's face it in the built environment isn't all that accessible sometimes they've made changes to to help that out we've added those case studies so So as you're reading through the information and learning lots, you're hopefully able to also read something that's quite relevant, that almost sparks that interest and that aspiration and gives you an an opportunity to think, okay, I can do that. This might be who I might get in touch with and this might be the action I take.
0: Yeah, I love that. The case studies make it so relatable to, Mm. to, to different scales of organization and i think what i found was was it was quite inspiring actually that you know okay it's a peer there's always going to be some challenges with accessibility however we have gone to to these efforts to do these things so yeah. you know you might have a checklist of 30 things you might be able to cover off 20 of them 10 of them are 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 just never going you're never going to be able to do but to be able to read and go there's still so much that i can do even though i yes. don't have you know something that's that's all 30 i can still do these things and make it significantly better for a much wider range of people that will be able to come and use these facilities now
1: absolutely 100% and we wanted to make sure that people really got that feeling and they were encouraged by the information rather than overwhelmed by it yeah. and i think one thing that's that's also really important is that let's be honest, when it comes to accessibility, we all think about wheelchair users and we all think about step-free access, which is great for me as a wheelchair user. (laughs) But but actually, it's not always about providing step-free access or installing that really expensive lift. How can you think about the colour palettes that you're using to make sure that there's enough tonal contrast for somebody who's visually impaired, but it also provides an appropriate sensory environment for somebody who's neurodivergent? These are things that are so often forgotten or put down the priority list and these are the things that we wanted to say okay you can do these in a way that doesn't break the bank that doesn't take all the time but makes all the difference to a certain group of people.
0: I think, do you think that they are harder to associate with because they're, you can't see them? I mean, with the wheelchair, it's a very obvious, you can see that that person has a disability. You can see that they will need something very specific from you to be able to use your, your platform. But with some of these other things, they, you, you can't, you just can't see that trigger. So you don't think to think about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the, really pivotal points that we have in the inclusive design industry now is thinking about things that are less visible so somebody who has dementia for example that might find really dark flooring looking like a black hole and might really struggle to go into that museum environment that's particularly dark um, thinking about that is just as important as how wide your doorways are but as you've very rightly said, are so often not thought about or not correctly understood is, is probably the more correct way of saying it.
0: You mentioned earlier about some monetary value for, for organisations mm. to do this. But why is this such a vital resource from someone like you who has lived experience of this as well? Why is this so vital? I think it's really
1: vital because it's specific, first of all. So we've created something specific to people within that tourism, travel, attractions industry. In fact, we've focused specifically on accommodations, attractions, food and beverage and events. There are four main areas that we focused on. So what I really like about it is you read through as somebody who works in one of those businesses and everything is relevant to to what you do and i think that's really important so often you you look at accessibility resources and they've tried to cater to a huge audience and and actually made a bit less relevance by doing so so i think i think that's really that makes it really vital and a really innovative resource actually by doing so i think another thing is it allows you to focus on that End-to-end journey is in its entirety. So, if you feel like you're doing really, really well in the accessibility that you offer your customers, for example, but you want to focus now more internally on, okay, what does my culture look like? How inclusive can I be as an employer? What about my marketing? What about my website? I focused on the built environment, but what about what the information I'm putting out there? All of that information is is in there as well. So regardless of where you are on that accessibility journey, I'd like to think that there's something for you within that toolkit.
0: There absolutely is. So you definitely need to go and download it. So we're going to put a link directly to it in the show notes for the show as well. So don't worry about going searching for it. Just go to the show notes. You will find it very easily. Um, How is it going to evolve? Because we said this is not a static thing. You know, it's out there now needs, requirements are going to change, policies are going to change. How does this, what does this, what does the roadmap for it look like mm. for the next kind of a couple of years, five years down the line? So I'm doing quite a lot of
1: work with Ross at the moment to think about how we're making sure that people are aware of it and they know exactly how to use it as a tool. Because of course, with anything like this, it's all well and good writing it, but really it's only as successful as its uses. Yeah. Um, so we've gone... Already to the AA and the Visit England assessors who go into different hotels and restaurants and review these. Um, And we've made sure that they're aware of the toolkit. We've given them a bit of a presentation and a few exercises on how to use it. We're going to do similar with visitor attractions as well. And then MIMA, we've got a bit of a contract with Visit England for the next couple of years that focuses on providing updates to this toolkit. So we will be going out and training different people, but also we really want people to write into us and give us feedback and tell us where they think certain improvements could be made or if they've got a great case study of something that's only happened a couple of months ago all these things we want to hear about them so we can make sure that it continues to be an updated best in class resource
0: oh that's good i love that little shout out right if anyone's listening (laughs) <laughs> and something good has happened. You've got Please. something to shout about. You know how to contact Emily. We'll put a link to Emily's um, LinkedIn profile on here Brilliant. as well so you can give her a shout out about. that. Um, and what do you hope that it's going to achieve? What do you hope that this will what this will bring? Oh, that's a great question.
1: I think the number one thing I hope, and this is probably quite a personal, selfish plea, is that I hope it encourages businesses to be honest about where they are in their journey. By that, I mean, it is no good somebody calling you up and saying, hi there, do you provide step-free access and accessible parking? And you going, oh, yes, yes, we do. That's absolutely fine. And somebody like me getting there and there's five steps up to the front door, there's nothing heroic about not being honest about where you are in your journey. It just complicates matters. So what I would really love businesses to have the confidence to do is have a statement on their website that details exactly where they are on that journey. Is really honest about the things that they've done well, the things that they're still improving. And therefore gives disabled people, older people, people with access requirements in general, that autonomy to be able to make the decision for themselves whether this place is suitable for their needs or not. And I think if we can master that and if businesses can do that, that would be an incredible thing for the industry in general. And it puts, as I say, that autonomy back on disabled people, back on the audience to say, right, this is great. I'm going to go here. I'm going to tell all my friends about it. And this could be a great case study for this business to learn a little bit more from, etc,
0: cetera, etc. Cetera. That is such an important message, isn't it? The message of of honesty, because that seems like a really simple thing to do. Yes. You've just You know, <laughs> yeah. OK, look, none of us are perfect none of us are perfect we all have a long way to go to make things you know as accessible as they need to be however this is where we're at we've got this you know on our we're back to our checklist again aren't we We, you know this is our 30 30 step checklist we've got 10 of those knocked off already and these are the things that we're doing this is what we are hoping to achieve and this is the time frame we're looking to achieve them in. I've just been through this process with them the fire safety regulations that were brought out last October. So, you know, making sure yeah. that I've got, yep, oh, okay, I've got 90% of those, there's 10% that need to be looked at, this is what we're going to do and this is when we're going to do it. By. It's exactly the same message, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Do you do you not see that from, from many kind of tourism and attraction organisations? And do you find that that is quite a challenge for them to be quite honest about where they're at?
1: I still see, being very honest with you, I still see quite a lot of fear surrounding disability and accessibility and this real desire to do the right thing. You know, it, all of this is coming from a good place. There's a real desire to do the right thing. But as you said right at the very beginning, no idea of where to start. And I think sometimes it's very easy to over-promise and under-deliver. And that is the worst thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Equally, what I want to say to caveat all of this is if you offer something that's amazing, please shout about it. (laughs) Please tell people about it because equally on the other side of the coin... I see actually museums in particular that offer all these amazing things, BSL tours, touch tours, tactile objects, and nobody has a clue that they even <laughs> exist. So, <laughs> you know, I'm asking really for, for both things. Balance. <laughs>
0: Balance. That's what we yeah. need. Balance yeah. in the force.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Be honest about what you don't have.
0: Celebrate what you do. Another great message, Emily. <laughs> um, okay, what are your top tips? Um, you, you obviously, this is like I said, this is lived experience for you. What are your top tips around disability awareness? What would you shout out and say? These are the things that you that you need to be looking at.
1: Okay, first thing. It's quite a philosophical point, but it's quite an important one. I think we need to change our mindset when it comes to accessibility and inclusive design, especially in the disability space, Um, because each and every one of us at some point in our lives will have experience of disability. Hopefully it's just through old age, but it may be through injury, through something else. And it's important to think about not disabled people and non-disabled people, but disabled people and not yet disabled people. And I think if we changed our mindset around that, suddenly there'd be a lot more movement when it comes to accessibility yeah. and inclusive design. So I think that would be my one, my one top tip, my one plea, if you like. I think the second one is to think bigger than wheelchair users. Start thinking about how to design for neurodiversity. Start reading documents such as the new PAS 6463 Design for the Mind. If you are, for example, a contractor or a designer working in these kind of spaces, that's really important too. And I think wherever possible, bring lived experience into your work. If you are working in a gallery and you've got this amazing new exhibition coming out, in the next couple of years think about how you can represent deaf disabled and neurodivergent people within that exhibition can you have a space where you have an access hub that has bsl tactile maps portable stools that people can take around with them and even more so can you have part of the exhibition where some of your interpretations some of your objects are to do with
0: deaf disabled neurodivergent creators that would be incredible too. And so making sure it's woven through every yeah. part of that experience and not seen as an add-on at the yeah. end, you know. Absolutely that. Absolutely that. Great tips. Thank you. Um, let's talk quickly about the, your podcast. So at MIMA, there's a podcast called uh, Redesign. Yes. And actually, episode five has does feature ross uh Just, ross Paladar, yeah. <laughs> again he's the accessibility and inclusion lead at visit england and he comes on and talks about how do you create a seamless customer experience so again mm. this comes comes back to a lot of the points that we've covered today i mean great topic congratulations on starting the podcast in uh, the first thank place you. there what are the hopes and aspirations for Mima? what are they looking to achieve by by putting this podcast out there
1: I think what we're hoping for is that multidisciplinary design, human centered design, inclusive design really gets its place on the map a little bit more. Um because it's something that especially inclusive design, it's spoken about a lot, you know, you will read articles a lot, I'm sure Kelly that mention it and the importance of it, but there's a difference between mentioning it and knowing what to do with it and actually speaking to people that have done it. And I think that's what we're trying to do, really pull out some pearls of wisdom from different individuals that have gone through different scenarios, whether they've travelled a lot for their work, whether they've focused on inclusive inter- internal culture change, as one of our um, episodes focuses on, whether they focus specifically on the importance of inclusion within it. In- Aviation, whether they're looking at a seamless visitor experience, we want to hear from people that have experienced that and been through it and are able to then give a bit of advice to people that want to learn more about a subject that everybody should at least have a bit of a basic understanding of.
0: Amazing. Right. We will link to that podcast as well. So that is definitely one for you to go over and subscribe to, Emily. It's been so good to have you on today. And I know that we've had to keep this one short because we've, everyone's got appointments that they need to get to, but this is such a key topic. My aspiration is that everybody that listens to this episode goes and downloads that accessibility toolkit and looks through it and shares it with their network as well, please. So that's a personal plea from me to you listeners, Um, go and download it and please give it a little share because it needs to get out to as many different people as possible, as many organizations that it's relevant for as possible. Um, what about a book that you love that you'd like to share with us today, Emily? I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued as if you've gone on topic or not. <laughs> I think I have gone on topic about this.
1: Sorry, sorry if I've been, been a bit one-dimensional. Not at all. <laughs> my book of choice is one that I read recently and one funnily enough that I'm running a bit of an internal workshop on at MIMA in a couple of weeks we've started a bit of an inclusive book club um and it's called the view from down here by Lucy Webster Lucy is an amazing journalist she's disabled she used to work for the BBC before going freelance and she writes this incredible memoir about what it's like growing up disabled, but really importantly, as a disabled woman. And she talks about so many different scenarios from trying to get into a nightclub on a Saturday night when the difficulty of doing so in terms of the gaze that you so often experience as a woman, but as a disabled woman as well. Um, Her thoughts on motherhood and how complex and nuanced that is as somebody who's disabled, um, friendships, professional lives, all of these different things. And I think it's just such an incredibly powerful, confident, but also very vulnerable account of of the realism of of what it's really like. And the thing that it made me realise, or the thing that it made me remember, should I say, is that we're not going to solve accessibility by just making sure that all of our train stations are step free. It's much more holistic and nuanced and complex than that. And it's about human nature and human design and all those holistic things that we so rarely think about. Um, And I would just urge everybody to read it. It's angry. It's sad. It's beautiful. It's just a wonderful, wonderful
0: book. Wow, what a book. I feel quite moved by just hearing your account of it, let alone reading it, right? That's going top of the list. Um, (laughs) Right, listeners, if you would like to win a copy of that book, which, I mean, let's face it, it sounds like everybody needs to read that anyway. So do throw your your hat into the ring for this one. If you head over to our Twitter account and you retweet this episode announcement with the words, I want Emily's book, then you will be in a chance to win it. But uh, aside from that, go and buy it. And absolutely head over to the show notes download the uh, Visit Britain Accessible and Inclusive Tourism Toolkit for Businesses. You will not be disappointed. I can assure you of that. Emily, it's been brilliant to have you on today. Thank you. I'm sorry it's short and sweet. I'm sorry that you've got to dash off to an appointment (laughs) and you're leaving me. Um, But it's been so amazing to chat. Um, I would love for you to come on and talk about some of the case studies, maybe with some of your clients at some point, because I think that would would be a really interesting discussion to talk through you know some of the the processes and the steps that that they went through, and just showcase that this is for everybody. You know, this really is for everybody.
1: I would absolutely love that. Thank you. We're working with the the National Railway Museum at the moment on their Vision 2025 master plan. So maybe when that's starting to wrap up next year, maybe that would be an amazing opportunity to
0: to talk about that. I think that would be brilliant. I'd love that. All right, thank you so much, Emily. Thank Take you, Kelly.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Skip The Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip The Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.